Thank you, praise team. Make all things new. And we come to the end of a sermon series called This Year is Going to Be Different, where we wanted something new for this year compared to what last year had to offer us. And so we began by taking a look at the the things that need to be new in our lives, and maybe not all of them brand new, but renewed. We began with the sermon, Renewing Our Commitments to Be Covenant People. We moved on to new or renewed visions, new or renewed understandings, new or renewed attitudes, but we end today on new or renewed practices, spiritual practices. And we know that next week we're going to begin a brand new sermon series, and it's going to be called Practice Makes Perfect. We're going to take a look at the practice of slowing, the practice of play, the practice of patience, and finally the practice of mindfulness. But the new practice I really want us to try and focus on today is this, this new practice or renewed practice of piety, to seek to live a holy Christ-like life. And it, this, this call from God to, to God's people to be holy, to be uh, defined by our piety goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus, that is written in the 20th chapter, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And we know that Leviticus was written at a time where God's people had risen up. They were out of slavery and they were in this wilderness uh, period of life, and God was shaping them, molding them to be God's holy people. But do you know how you were deemed holy? In the desert, deemed holy as with this Levitical code, obedience to 613 rules, 613 laws. By the time Jesus Christ has come around and God has realized this new covenant that was promised by the prophets, now holiness is a response to something else. And by the time Peter is writing to a community of faith in his first letter, first chapter, he says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This holiness, not by obeying 613 laws, but this holiness as a response to grace. And I just love what Peter wrote there. Holiness needs a mind for action, disciplined and obedient action that leads to holiness. But piety, you know, that kind of word sticks in some people's mouths. All of us could go to any dictionary, whether you still have a a good old-fashioned paper dictionary in your house somewhere, or you go online, the definition has not changed. Piety is, is defined as reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations, the quality of being religious or reverent. And friends, piety is meant to be a mark of our Christianity. We're called to be intentional about our actions, about how we live our lives. But piety does kind of have this this bad connotation. I think it's all because of piousness. Now, pious, if you actually look it up in in the dictionary, says devoutly religious. That's the first entry. But the second entry is what most people think about. Pious, 
making a hypocritical display of virtue, characterized by hypocritical concern with virtue or religious devotion, sanctimonious. Is that what came to mind when you thought of a pious? Sanctimonious, a pious deception. And so I had three different small group gatherings this week, and in each of those I asked, let's do a word association. What comes to mind when I say pizza? And everyone, of course, says God is love. That's... No, I said, what, what comes to mind when you think of piety? Piety. And, and this is what they said, so pious. They wear the religion on their sleeve. Fake, pompous, religiosity, uh, false holiness, a holier-than-thou, smug, self-righteous attitude. And so, friends, I stand before you as a poor, humble servant trying to reclaim piety from pompous piousness. That's just fun to say. Pompous piousness. And Jesus, while well, he was walking on earth and teaching and shaping the lives of disciples and, and really giving words that have sustained our Christian journey from the time we were children and will throughout our lives, he saw this pompous piousness. And he wanted us to get back to true piety. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's saying this is not about show. This is about your personal devotion. Make sure that you have the right motives and so what does it mean to practice piety? It means to be on a quest to be holy just as God is holy, to be holy without being holier than thou. And Wesley knew that if you focus too much on just what's happening out there or if you happen, focus too much on what's just happening inside, we're not complete. What God wants God's people to do will never fully be done. And so Wesley, time and time again, talked about a holiness of the heart, a holiness that is both inward and outward, calling all who are part of the Methodist movement to really strive to live the kind of life that Christ lived Wesley was all about transformation, and, and God does intend for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, an inner transformation, cleansing and liberating. But Wesley understood that holiness of heart could be misunderstood and seen solely, only as an interior change. And when that happens, the outward and the ethical dimension of what a, a true life of faith is supposed to be lived at with this concern for compassion, this concern for justice is going to be overlooked. That's why he kept saying inward and outward. And so, friends, all of us can live out holiness or piety by being transformed by the grace of God, enabling us to be holy, to live a right kind of life, Christ-like life. Piety, holiness, is a way of shaping every aspect of, of our ordinary lives into a life of a person of faith. And one does not have to have extraordinary gifts to be a holy person. Only a willingness to do everything in a way that shows reverence to God. The practice of piety, this pursuit of a heart made perfect in love, is a total separation of everything that defiles that dilutes, that pollutes. It is an all-encompassing love. To be holy means to be set apart for God. Now, I want to show you an image that Methodists have used from, uh, from uh, 
very early on, and we've, we've shown this before. You know, John Wesley was concerned about works of mercy. Those are the outward works. And also works of piety, not pompous piousness, piety. And he said those are realized through acts of compassion and acts of justice. That's where the mercy comes in, acts of compassion and justice. And we have preached time and time again about compassion. We have preached time and time about justice, and and necessarily so with the climate that we have right now. We've also talked a lot about worship. We did a whole sermon series on worship, but how often have you heard me give a sermon about the works of piety that are lived out through acts of personal devotion, acts of devotion, personal piety. And so you can move forward from that slide. Last week I I said, you know, I only have two points. I know you're going to feel cheated. You don't have a three-point sermon. So I said, so I made them as long and convoluted as I possibly could. But this week I have three, three, and they're going to be easy to understand Three ways for us to practice piety very much within our Wesleyan tradition. It is at the core of who we are with this movement, even though we have become institutionalized. And for, for uh, Wesley, scripture always comes first, devotional readings, and then last but never ever least, private prayer. Scripture, devotional readings, private prayer. When I was in seminary, we had this, this Brit uh, who was a professor, and I loved his class. He, I think he even over-accentuated his British accent, and he tried to weave in as much British humor as he could possibly weave in. And, and I watched uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, so I kind of was aware of, of some of this vibe. But, but this is what he said about works of piety. He said, we are the ones who will ultimately be responsible for developing the disciplines of prayer, Bible study, and personal reflection. We should be under no illusions in this regard. It will be a work of piety. Our acts of devotion will entail effort and application, and we will not become disciplined without much practice. And so we've heard it said time and time again that we become like those that we spend the most time with. You know, that's sometimes couples that have been married 50, 60 years, they, they really start to even almost look like one another as they, they move forward together. But to become Christ-like, we need to spend more time with Christ through Scripture, through devotionals, and through prayer. And so let's start with the very first one, Scripture, which everything started with Scripture for John Wesley. Now, some of you say, but Scripture is too hard. It is antiquated. There's no way I get through some of that Old Testament stuff. There are some things that I just can't explain. And so I remember this story. There was an Episcopal uh, pastor, um, and he was eating lunch, and he was wearing his collar. So he was not a, a Roman Catholic priest, but he, he had his collar on, which is kind of a dead giveaway. Hey, this guy's a pastor. And so, of course, who goes up to pastors in the middle of a public setting? Well, people who either have a dire need or an atheist. And in this case, an atheist walked up and said, So, you're clergy, huh? And the man who was eating this wonderful piece of fish put his fork down and said, Yes, I am. And so the atheist said, So I, believe, so I bet you believe in the Bible. And the pastor said, I most definitely do. I believe it's the Word of God. Then the atheist said, are there certain parts of the Bible you can't explain? And the pastor, being authentic and being humble, said, 
of course. There are certain things that, that are so hard to explain, and, and I'm still on this journey. And so the atheist, with this triumphant air, like, aha, I've got this pastor to admit they can't explain everything in the Bible, said, well, what do you do then when you can't explain it? And the pastor picked his fork back up and started eating more fish. And then, as happens, sometimes when you eat fish, what's inside a fish? Bones. And so he took out a couple of bones and put it on the side of his plate and went to take another bite. And the, the atheist kept looking at him and he said, well, son, when I come to a part that I can't explain, it's very much like how I eat this fish. I take the bones out, put them on the side of the plate and get back to enjoying the, the deliciousness of this meal and leave those bones for some other fool to choke on. Now, I think he wasn't trying to be snotty there. It came across as a little snarky. But I think what he was trying to convey is, and this is something we all need to hear, when we get stuck, just keep moving on. There might be a time where we can come back to it with a deeper understanding. I still have the same Bible I've had since I was 18 or 19 years old, and the little notes in the margins, I'm not in that place anymore as I continue to grow with life experience. Get a good study Bible so you can help understand the scriptures at a deeper level. But above all, friends, as we practice our piety, we must not neglect scripture. We must not neglect scripture. Wesley was concerned that people were neglecting scripture. Martin Luther, the founder of the, the, I almost said revolution, of the Reformation, also just was afraid. And this is what Luther said once, the neglect of scripture even by spiritual leaders as one of the greatest evils in the world, everything else, arts, literature, is pursued and practiced day and night. There is no end of labor and effort, but Holy Scripture is neglected as if there were no needs of it. But its words are not, as some think, mere literature. They are words of life, intended not for speculation and fancy, but for life and action. May Christ our Lord help us to understand the word with all our hearts. This is the same man that said, and he read through Scripture from generation through Revelation in, in its entirety at least twice a year. And he said, it, you know, when I come to this verse, it's like approaching a giant tree, and I have to shake each limb, and I have to look under each leaf to try and find the meaning. Are we neglecting our Scripture? If so, then we're not practicing piety but the second was devotional readings and reading in general. And this is what John Wesley said. It cannot be that people should grow in grace unless they give themselves to reading. A reading people will always be a knowing people. I love that. A reading people will always be a knowing people. And you wonder, what in the world would Wesley have said something like that? Well, he said something like that when he was overseeing a preacher that had been, you know, part of his team. And he had, he had heard this preacher preach time and time again. And this is what he said to him. I'm going to leave the man's last name out, he was, but he was Pastor John. He said, what has exceedingly hurt you in time past, nay, and I fear to this day, is want of reading. I scarce ever knew a preacher who read so little and perhaps by neglecting it, you have lost the taste for it. Hence, your talent in preaching does not increase. It is just the same as it was seven years ago. It is lively, but not deep. There is little variety. There is no compass of thought. Reading only can supply this with meditation and daily prayer. 
You wrong yourselves greatly by omitting this. You can never be a deep preacher without it any more than a thorough Christian. And so he says, oh, begin, fix some part of every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste which you have not. What is tedious at first will afterwards be pleasant. Whether you like it or no, read and pray daily, for it is your life and there is no other way. Now, I know there are all kinds of devotions that are, that are out there. And, you know, when I think of devotion in, in Bible reading and, and prayer, I, I think about my mom. And I apologize if I'm talking too much about her. Her, her passing is still uh, fresh on me. But I knew when I was growing up, every morning, my mom woke up before it was light outside, and she read her Bible, and then she read her upper room or her, her uh, daily bread devotion, and then she had a prayer journal right there. And, you know, a couple months ago, she was in her unit and had an aneurysm, and she was just gone. And so it was up to the family to go in and to clean out the house, to clean out the units. I know that many of you have had to go through that exact same process. I wasn't stunned at all that next to her bed, on her bedside table, was still her study Bible, still her current up-to-the-moment upper room in daily bread devotionals, and still her, her prayer journal right there. Practice of piety. And so you can find whatever devotion works best for you. You know, we're going to give another devotion from Henry Nowen to everyone in the congregation as we approach Lent. I know that uh, Nell here, who's with us in the sanctuary in-house, every morning she gets an email from the Nowen group that is a devotion. You can go to BibleGateway.com and just, they'll have a, a, a devotion for you right there. Walk with God. It'll help your understanding of Scripture. But this may shock you. I really believe that good fiction, the right kind of fiction, can be devotional in what it, what it portrays to us. Who are you reading? What are you reading? I really believe people of faith who have a strong prayer life, who have a strong understanding of Scripture, can even read the daily newspaper almost as a devotional because they, they put God into the situation. When I was in seminary, there was no such thing as a smartphone and really not even much of the internet. And, and they always said, when you preach, preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, make application. And so, yes, we are called. We are called to dig into the scriptures. We are called to use other resources to help us come to levels of understanding. But finally, but again, not least, we are called to private prayer. Now, when it comes to practicing piety, COVID, the, the pandemic derailed a lot of folks, but for others, it gave them more time to be quiet and still and to approach God in prayer. Now, we know that prayer is always going to be challenging for, for others, we, you know, especially if we brought up, you have to be kneeling or you have to be uh, down, you have to have your hands a certain way, your eyes must be closed. Friends, I, I pray while I'm driving. I tell you what, my hands aren't in a posture of prayer and my eyes are certainly not closed. You can pray with your eyes wide open. You can pray, any, pray anywhere. And so I heard a story of a pastor who was called in to a hospice unit because the man only had a couple of days left. They, that was the estimation. And if, if you're a pastor, you're going to find yourself time and time again in these hospice units. 
And when he came in, the man was sitting on the bed, and there was an empty chair that was actually touching the bed, and then there was another chair. And so the pastor came in and said, I see I'm not your first visitor today. The man looked a little confused, and then the pastor looked at the chair right next to the bed. He goes, oh, no, let me explain that. For years, I was struggling with my prayer life, you know, and as I got older, it was harder for me to get down on my knees the way my mother and grandmother told me I had to do it, and I was really struggling, so I went to talk to my pastor at the time, and he said, don't overthink it. Sit in a chair and pull another chair right in front of you, and just imagine that Jesus is sitting right there in that chair, right in front of you, and just be real with him, as if you're talking to a friend, and he said, that's why that chair is there. The pastor thought that was wonderful and, and said the prayer and thought he was going to be alive in a couple of days still to get back, but he got a call, and it was from the man's daughter and said, you know, I just went to lay down for an hour or two because he was breathing so normally we didn't think it was going to be that imminent, and, and he just passed away in his sleep. And the pastor, oh, I'm so sorry. And the daughter said, but it was interesting. He, he had his hand draped across that, that chair right next to the bed. He died communicating with the God of love, the God of grace, the God that opens the eternal door to him. The daughter said it. She thought that was strange. The pastor said, I don't think that's strange at all. I understand it. C.S. Lewis, who has kind of held two unique titles, the most articulate atheist, then he became one of the most articulate Christians, all in the same lifetime. And he was asked about prayer, and he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping, it doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. And Wesley wrote, God does nothing but in answer to prayer at all times, we must retire to pray. But maybe you don't know how to pray. I want to teach you something that you're not going to forget, something you're going to walk away with this day. I want everyone, if, if the person next to you is asleep, gently uh, bring them back to consciousness and invite them to just put their hand up. Put their hand up, all right? So we all have, we all have hands. Some hands are more weathered. Some hands are, are broken and crooked in certain parts. But we all have these fingers. And next time you look at your hand, think about the way in which you're going to pray, and think about the thumb. The thumb is the one that is closest to your heart, right? So when you look at your thumb, pray for your loved ones. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends, those that are closest to your heart. The next finger is oftentimes used to give us directions, right? Where is it? Now, when someone comes into the narthex and says, where's the bathroom? Don't just point, say, follow me, I'll walk you there. Don't go in with them. But, you know, that's hospitality. So for direction. So when you look at your, index or your, your pointer finger, just think about giving direction. Those who do, the teachers, the doctors, the professors, those who are shaping, those who provide guidance. The next finger is the tallest, and that finger is used to communicate all kinds of things that personal piety has nothing to do with. But when you look at this biggest finger, remember to pray for those who are in leadership positions, to pray for our politicians on both sides of the aisle, to pray for our business leaders, to pray for leaders in our church. The next finger we call the ring finger, and one of the things I learned, and it was verified by two pianists in the sanctuary last night, is it's actually the weakest finger for playing the piano. It's the weakest finger, and so because it's the weakest finger, when you look at your ring finger, pray for 
the weak. Pray for the poor. Pray for the oppressed. Pray for those that are kept down. Pray for the sick. And then finally, we have our pinky. And it is the smallest finger on the hand. And so as you look at that smallest, some would say the most insignificant finger, that's when you pray for yourself. You pray for yourself with humility to give God your needs. That's the five-finger prayer. And so, friends, I end by saying prayer and searching scriptures and daily practices often accompany one another. Reading and meditating on scriptures often leads to prayer. Reading devotions helps unlock parts of scripture that have been difficult for us. There are countless unseen practices done by individuals in personal piety, but can we collectively have pure piety without sliding into to pompous piousness, my prayer, my prayer is that the answer is yes. Because friends, if every one of God's children truly, in intentional ways, practiced personal piety, collectively, the world would be transformed. Amen. Which means, may it be so.